Welcome to Trust Company Talks with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. Good afternoon, and welcome to Trust Company Talks with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing great, Burke. How are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Good. It's uh, it's chilly outside, but uh, we got a warm, cozy environment in here. We have <laughs> yeah. one of our uh, senior principals and lead advisors in Charlotte, Mr. Chris Sutherland, in here with us today. Glad to have you, Chris. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. We are glad you're here. Welcome, Chris. Good to see you, bud. Same. Well, we got Chris in here today because we really wanted to uh, highlight you know, Chris's contributions to the firm and uh, and his role in uh, leadership in the Charlotte office uh, and within the firm, really. And also, since tax season is approaching, you know, we thought we'd talk a little bit about tax. Uh, Chris kind of has a tax background, one of our thought leaders in the firm as it relates to that subject. And so I'm sure the conversation will get there a little bit. But anyway, I thought we'd just start by maybe letting Chris introduce himself and tell him about how he came to Trust Company and his background and all that good stuff. So, Chris? Yes, yes. Thank you again for having me. Um, before Trust Company, I spent almost 14 years uh, with PricewaterhouseCoopers. That's where I started right out of school. I kind of joined the audit team and kind of worked my way through that. Uh, I'd say I didn't last too long in audit. It, was, uh, it, it wasn't my cup of tea. And, and fortunately, the firm had kind of a niche group. It was a, it was a personal financial planning group that kind of focused on tax and planning for corporate executives. And they needed some help. And I probably less than two years into my tenure with, with the firm, I, I migrated into that group and really was focused on senior executives with some of the firm's audits clients. And you know, it, it, there was a lot of tax, so did tax returns, but but we really ran the gamut in financial planning for these clients. You know, whether you know it's you know cash flow, retirement, uh, benefit plans, and you know all these were corporate executives. So we we kind of dug in deep with their benefits, and and it was you know it was a great experience. Uh, PwC was a was a big firm, had a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of expertise in it you got a lot of exposure to different people and yeah a great place to cut your teeth and it was very beneficial for both me and jay right right and that being jay eichar your esteemed partner in charlotte correct yes indeed indeed well um tell us more about the team in charlotte so it's jay and you and then you've got some other associates there as well yes yes so well i'll back up a little bit and and maybe give you the history of of maybe how we came to be there and that involves mr noble here yeah Uh, go way back yeah so i guess it was mid 2000s 2005 ish uh the landscape within our group within a public accounting firm changed you know we were limited in what we could do um, a lot of regulation. And anyway, long story short, we realized that you know, we needed to find a new home to mm-hmm. do what we wanted to do. Uh, and we kind of exhausted those avenues. Uh, and then there was a kind of a mutual connection of ours, Bill and mine, that, that really introduced us kind of at the 11th hour. Uh, you know, Jay mm-hmm. and I had, had plans to, to kind of trek out on our own mm-hmm. and were introduced to Bill. And anyway, long story short there, it was a, it was a perfect fit. You know, what Trust Company was doing, uh, you know, fit really well with what we wanted to do, you know, with the investment advisory, but also the holistic planning, planning part, from a fiduciary right. perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't selling anything. It was, it was exactly what we wanted to do. And it just so happened that the firm was looking for a Charlotte presence that they didn't have. And, and yeah, it was a perfect fit from my perspective. I can remember, you know, we've built a statewide organization and the big, big hole for our firm was we didn't have a presence in Charlotte. And, I knew some very successful business people in Charlotte, and then I knew some people in eastern North Carolina, 
And there was this one commonality when I was asking for people to, if they could give me some references of people we could talk to. Um, Chris's name kept coming up from these different people that were not connected at all. And um, so that was a good sign to me yeah. that he was he was really worth talking to. And, and I can remember Bill Smith, our CEO, and I met with Chris and Jay in Pinehurst one day. That's right. And I can remember walking out of that meeting, and we had talked to a lot of people. And I can remember as we walked out of there, I looked at Bill, and we looked at each other, and we said, these are the guys. This is who we want. That's and uh, And it's been a great, been a great, great thing. It's been that, a great relationship, and and they've been a, just a huge part of the success of our firm. So Yeah, it's very, it's very eerie because we were same situation. We, we had exhausted a lot of different opportunities, and nothing was a good fit. And we, candidly, we kind of took this meeting with Bill, and the same thing, we drove back from Pinehurst, and Jay and I said, this is, the, this is it. This is the fit. Yeah. I mean, the main thing that was so cool about it was, you know, first of all, we're a fiduciary. You know, we're objective. We don't sell products. Every, every checkpoint, and we wanted to give holistic, comprehensive, true, integrated wealth management advice. Uh-huh. Everything we, the trust company does is exactly what they were already doing, but they just hadn't found the right platform for it and so we fit that bill and it's it's been it's been a yeah. great fit january 2008 a great time to start uh, <laughs> yeah. a wealth advisory practice yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i yeah. understand that <laughs> yeah. well talk about i mean outside of the culture you know what what the types of of uh activities and, and you know the services that you guys are providing that kind of sets you guys apart yeah i i think yeah, the background in working with the kind of clients that we did at PwC, it was very similar. Uh-huh. Um, we worked more with corporate executives, but we also had business owners. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the great thing about it was there was a it was a broad team. And, you know, I was somewhat a generalist, mm-hmm. if you will. I'm not an estate planning attorney like Westry is right. here. Uh, and but I mean, I'm a CPA. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I focused on the tax. Uh, but being surrounded by a lot of smart people. And so I think the big thing that we did then, and as we do now uh, here at Trust Company, is is really try to identify the issues. Mm-hmm. And I may not have the expertise in any one area, but we probably do within our firm mm-hmm. and certainly broader with the other professionals that we work with. And I think you know, the PwC background, again, the, the large client base, many different types of of situations, whether it's, you know, we did a lot with stock options. Mm-hmm. So understanding how stock worked, certainly a lot of estate planning mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, understanding how not only the planning side, but how the tax side worked, right. you know, why are you doing it? Um, what are you, you know, what are you trying to minimize there with the taxes? And, and then, you know, the, the filings that you have to make mm-hmm. are very technical. So learning how that worked, you know, filing gift tax returns, filing estate tax returns, uh, you kind of saw the, the whole process. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, I think that was very beneficial in my early career, kind of seeing all that, um, really because it just helps you identify issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, then you bring in the right people to yeah. help find the solutions as necessary. But I think that's, that was just a big benefit. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome how you were really working with trust company type clients, you know, with PwC, whether business owners or executives that have concentrated positions, you know, people that need either advice or diversification or what have you. But maybe talk a little bit about what some of those common issues are. I mean, we mentioned a couple, uh, but maybe if you can flesh it out a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was focused around estate planning. Uh-huh. Um, and I know you've had Westry on and, and have, have talked about that, but those laws just 
keep changing. Keep changing. They keep changing, yeah, and, and you, you, you got to be prepared. And not only do they keep changing, but you know, client situations change. Mm-hmm. Um, their liquidity changes, mm-hmm. and so I think digging into into you know how do you best position them to be successful uh, mm-hmm. with their estate plans. I mean, Westry and I were in a, were in a meeting yesterday trying to dig in with with a client that had, you know, was trying to maximize the, the credit that he had remaining in the most efficient way. And, you know, there's some, a few other goals in, in transferring assets that, that made it, you know, just complicated it. Mm-hmm. It takes a team to, to really kind of flesh out, you know, all the various issues that go into pulling together a, uh-huh. a, a comprehensive estate plan and then be, be nimble. Mm-hmm. Chris, um, what, in your mind, with uh, all the recent tax law or the up perceived upcoming tax changes with the exclusion and things of that nature, what's the most commonality you're seeing when you're talking with different clients out there right now uh, from a tax perspective or a planning perspective that everybody is maybe not as dialed into as they should be or they've missed it or we want to make sure they haven't missed it? I mean, is there one or two things that stand out most to you? Well, I think just utilizing the credit while you have mm-hmm. it. The credit has been indexed at inflation. And what I'm talking about is the lifetime mm-hmm. credit, not the annual exemption, but the lifetime, which is now, I believe it's $13.6 million right. and it, per person. So, you know, a couple is is what, 27 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that just increased with inflation, I think about $600,000. Yeah. There was a point early in my career where the entire exemption was 600,000. Right. Uh, but it increased 600 this year. And and then the, the big thing is it, it drops back to half that in 26. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have, in essence, you have about two years to use that exemption or you're gonna lose half of it. And that's massive. I that's mean, massive. Like, yeah, massive. Yeah. Yeah, and especially so, for our clients, you know, for, I mean. for sure. And then there's a lot of a lot of clients that are kind of right there in the mix. You know, you're you're above the 15 million, say, but yeah. below the 30 yeah. range, mm-hmm. and and it becomes a little harder. You got to get creative mm-hmm. uh, with the planning to to try to maximize it, but not do anything harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's clearly the biggest thing right now is is trying to trying to utilize that. And mm-hmm. and our attorney friends out there are, are pretty busy, and so right. you you can't wait until. The, the fall it, it, of that year. You, yeah, right. you really need to you need to start planning now and and be well on your way by the end of this year um, to take advantage. Any creative things that you want to share? That I mean, without giving away any to protect the innocent you know, <laughs> or the guilty, if you want to call it that. But I mean, is there anything recently that y'all that's been a great solution that you've been able to? come up with for somebody that a good example you might be able to share yeah well we had a big success with a client a couple years ago with um you know utilizing his exemption with a with a closely held business that had a lot of growth potential and you know so we we you know put that entity or that that business into an llc wrapped around a trust an irrevocable trust Mm -hmm. that he then you know he got a discount for we got a valuation and got a discounted value for the value of his company and you know, two years later, that company has grown, tr- you know, yeah. tremendously. Leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's you know he's moved you know tens of millions mm-hmm. outside of his estate, mm-hmm. you know, using that transaction mm-hmm. from a couple of years ago. And we continue to do things like that. Uh, I mean, the, that's a classic example. Classic example. I mean, yeah. And that has nothing to do with investment planning. That's that's all about tax or financial planning whatever you want to however you want to define it but yeah it's t- it's tax and estate yeah, planning i mean that's what it is and that's what we beat our drum at trust company of the south about being that we are a c- 
comprehensive advisor. We're not just managing your money. So yeah. But you've saved them. Yeah, we reached the part of the podcast where Bill tells me that, that what I do doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah every, at least one, one interview, one point during the interview. We focus I very much on investments, it. too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that we have you know, some upcoming changes. What sort of best practices for folks to stay apprised of, of uh, you know, meaningful changes like the one you just mentioned? Yeah, well, I think we, we try to mention as much as we uh-huh. can. With you know, You're a big contributor to our blog, mm-hmm. Burke, and I think Westry has written a, an article or two about the changes. So, And then really just staying in communication with our mm-hmm. clients. And we try to meet with them pretty regularly, at least a couple times a year, and to mm-hmm. bringing these things up. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about this for more than a year now, knowing it, it's coming, the, the estate tax change. But it, it's just constant communication and, and reminders because not everybody's will ready to do mm-hmm. a big transaction like that when they first hear about it. They need to digest it, understand the consequences, and um, you know, really understanding what a trust is, quite frankly, which right. not everybody – in fact, not many people do understand exactly what a trust is. And I know Westry's covered that, but I mean, that's very important yeah. to, to getting these transactions well, done. We'll talk about that a little bit and maybe just spend a few moments talking about what is the nature of not just a trust, but a trustee. And what does that mean as you're, uh, as you're going through this process? Yeah. Well, in the context of these transactions mm-hmm. where we're, you know, where we're transferring wealth from, you know, an from, estate. Yeah, from an estate uh-huh. or an individual into a trust mm-hmm. that's outside of their estate. Yeah, you know, they're they're transferring control, mm-hmm. uh, and then the control then goes to the trustee, mm-hmm. uh, and the the trust itself, you know, limits what it can be used for. Mm-hmm. You know, there are distribution requirements within a trust. It's not like you can just go use the money however you you want or like you would have if it were yours. So you know, understanding, you know, how that works, and then you know, building the trust with your attorney and and the folks here at trust company. I mean that's a key education piece mm-hmm. and it takes time mm-hmm. and then it takes time to decide you know, exactly what you want those provisions to be. Um, so that's, that's really important. So that, that's, a, again, the reason why you can't wait until six months before a change to, mm-hmm. to get started. You need to, you need to get started kind of now. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that we were just talking the other day with a, with a, uh, a client prospect about is, uh, you know, when do you start working with an advisor as it relates to, you know, setting up a trust? I mean, a lot of folks think, okay, well, trust company, we'll name you as trustee and, and we'll just, we'll, we'll get everybody on the same page after the fact. Whereas the reality of it is, it, it seems like the sooner, the sooner the better for folks, you know, if, if, for, if trust company or another advisor is going to be kind of in that quarterbacking position, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to wait until, you know, some event has happened and then you're just meeting children and you're just meeting other players on the team. I mean, talk about how important that is. Yeah, very, very good point, Burke. I mean, we don't, we get calls all the time, right. kind of cold calls from, from folks that just want us to serve as trustee. And we really don't want to do that. Right. I mean, can we? Yes, we can absolutely serve as trustee if called upon and, and I would imagine we're named in documents that we're not aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, but you're not going to have a successful outcome more than likely if you don't know one the grantors, the mm-hmm. people that are creating the trust and transferring the wealth, and then equally as important the, the beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. So presumably the family members that are going to that are, you know are going to benefit from this trust document and these trust assets. So I think it's very important for us to to first know the grantors mm-hmm. and again the people creating it, so we know what you know, what they're thinking and how they're thinking and what their wishes are in terms of how this trust should work. And then obviously getting to know the beneficiaries uh, so you can educate them and have a relationship because, you know, if you're serving as trustee or even if you're a co-trustee or advising a trustee, Mm -hmm. um, you want to have a relationship 
with those beneficiaries, they're comfortable with you, you're comfortable with them, you know, the ins and outs of what's going on in their right. life, their financial situation. So, you know, the cold situations where we're just kind of thrown in the fire, if you mm-hmm. will, uh, they don't often go well. Right, right. And, yeah. and how critical it is to have some knowledge of the grantor and their sort of not, I mean, certainly their intent, but that's a you know, qualitative assessment. But having an idea, you know, around what made that grantor tick and what his intentions and purposes are it seems to really well, kind you, of be the key to the game. That's right. You learn You learn mm-hmm. over time uh, what philanthropies, what charitable organizations right. do they support and why, mm-hmm. um, you know, how they felt about taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, some people really want to go all out to avoid paying a, a penny of tax mm-hmm. when, you know, some people are less concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Well, and also just about the family values of, of their wealth and how they want to portray that or use that or, or not use it, you know. Yeah, very, very important. Very important. And um, we say all, uh, often that, you you know, you can't put everything in a trust document. It's a piece of paper with words on it. It goes a long way, but it doesn't go all the way. Right. Uh, you have to know, again, values is a perfect way of putting it. You, have to, you really need to understand the values and, and the wishes of, you know, the family. Well, and, and another thing from a tax standpoint, I mean, you're a tax expert, Chris, and, and I, but I've sat in with meetings with you where sometimes clearly there's a certain strategy that is it, that behooves the client the most from a pure tax standpoint. But our job as, as, a, as a more holistic advisor or, or comprehensive advisor is to let them know, now you might not get as great a tax benefit here, but it's, it's going to be for the, the end user, the beneficiary of your kids or your grandkids. If we tweak this or we tweak that, that's it might it's, it might be a better end result for them, and, and and we're able to give the client perspective. And I've seen you do that in meetings multiple times. Yeah, it just and, reminds um, me of a of a scenario, a recent scenario that Westry and I were talking about yeah. with a client that had charitable goals, mm-hmm. um, but also wanted some income and you know a charitable remainder trust. Mm-hmm. And now with rates a little higher, there's you know mm-hmm. a certain type of charitable trust is is more beneficial. Mm-hmm. So where where you could get an income stream and then the charitable organization gets gets the remainder and you get a tax benefit from mm-hmm. that too. Mm-hmm. So there are all kind of different charitable trusts out there that you can utilize, you know, some that the annuity stream goes back to the family mm-hmm. and the remainder goes to the charity. Uh, or it could be the opposite where where the charity gets the the, the annuity, the mm-hmm. income and the remainder goes to the family. And so you're know, trying to dig into to situations and desires from from families and, and trying to match that up with the with the economic environment, the rate mm-hmm. environment. Um, you know, we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a slightly different subject, but how much given we have much higher rates now than we had you know, a year or two ago. I mean, like, talk about what that has meant to some of your endowment clients. And, like, have you seen much of a shift in in their allocation or the way they're thinking about things? Yeah, I think people are, are a little more open mm-hmm. to investing in bonds mm-hmm. now than certainly they were the last 15 years with rates. And I think I saw the endowment, kind of the, quote, standard endowment model mm-hmm. kind of crept up from – maybe 65-35 to 75-25 sure. was kind of a standard. You know, right. we needed more equity exposure to earn the necessary amount and growth mm-hmm. to, to fund the charitable streams. Uh, maybe that's ticking back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just because of rates. Right. I mean, again, I, I joined Trust Company in 2008. Pretty much my, my tenure with Trust Company has been a low-rate environment. Right, right. And yeah. that, that changed dramatically in the last, what, 12, 15 right. months. right. right. Yeah, it's, it's something certainly that the boards that I've sit on have all gone from, 
you know, 60 to 60, 40 to, you know, close to 70, 30 or 75, 35. And I think that they'll probably it'll be interesting to see how far back it, it gets down. But, but you can justify it. Right. Given that, you know, you, you want higher rates actually as a pool of permanent capital when you can, you know, put money to work at, you know, five, six, seven percent versus zero. I mean, that actually, you take these markdowns in a year like 2022, but, uh, but in terms of the actual income you're receiving, it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's nice to expect a similar return with less risk. Right. That's exactly. a good thing, for particularly for endowments. Right, right. Anything that you want to cover in terms of gifting strategies since we're kind of talking about? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, just income tax generally. But, mm-hmm. but you know, gifting, a lot of the things that we do, we obviously have in the, the CPA background, we, we think about taxes often, mm-hmm. particularly at the end of the year and then leading into, into tax season. You know, from a charitable perspective, I think one of the things that we've we've started looking at is, um, you know, donor advised accounts mm-hmm. or grouping deductions. You know, with with the, I guess it was was it the Seventeen Act that eliminated the state taxes. You know, mm-hmm. capped it at ten thousand, and then, you know, the people that were itemizing with big tax mm-hmm. bills and mortgages and charitable contributions. You know, that that was limited. If you if you don't have a mortgage. You're right. capped at ten thousand mm-hmm. of taxes, and you know standard deduction is now pushing thirty. Mm-hmm. So in scenarios like that, you're you're not getting a benefit for you know the first twenty thousand right. of charitable contribution. Right. Right. So a natural thing to do would be to try to group your charitable contributions into a one year. So mm-hmm. maybe put two or three years worth of of contributions into one year, mm-hmm. and an easy way to do that is through a donor advised fund. Mm-hmm. I use that personally, and I have I have many clients that do, and and. In fact, I just loaded mine up at the end of uh, last year, and so I've you know I've put a big chunk into into my donor advice fund mm-hmm. with the with the goal of kind of sending that out to the end charities mm-hmm. over the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. doing that, I'll itemize my deductions this year, but in the next two years, I'll probably take the standard deduction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that'll be a, a twenty thousand dollar deduction each year that mm-hmm. I would not have otherwise receive. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. several thousand in tax mm-hmm. that I will save and anybody would save in doing the same thing that, you know, you just wouldn't otherwise mm-hmm. uh, uh, benefit from. Benefit Burke, from I've right. got a couple questions I wanted to ask Chris. I think he could be helpful in at least scratching the surface with it for our listeners. Um, three things I was just thinking of, Chris, when we were, you brought up a couple things. Could you comment on Roth conversions, you know, what they are and why they could be really important for people. Um, RMDs, required minimum distributions, and talk a little bit about HSA accounts, too, for people, the tax ramifications and how they work and whatnot, if you don't mind. Sure. In as quickly well, as possible. Sure. <laughs> well, let's start with the HSAs. Yeah, he's giving yeah. it all away right now. And I just yeah. hit him hard, but I think those are all three things sure. we're talking about. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll – I'll, Work backwards a little bit. The HSAs, which is a health savings account, um, you know, it's it's basically I, I view those as as an additional retirement account. Mm-hmm. I mean, in theory, you're you're putting money in. Not in theory, in actuality, you're putting money into a health savings account. You get a deduction for it when it goes in, and then you can take money out tax free, so it can grow. Mm-hmm. And then when you need it for medical expenses, you can take it out tax free right. if it's for qualified medical expenses. But unlike what is it, the, the old FSA accounts mm-hmm. um, where you had to use it or lose it each year? You know, HSAs, you don't These have. It's your money. Yeah, it's your money. Mm-hmm. It's, it, for me, I kind of treat it like a, an additional Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. It's a medical type, and it's even better because you get a deduction. You right. get a deduction for it. It goes in. You don't have to spend it at any point in time. You can save it. So 
like personally, I save mine as, as mm-hmm. best I can. And, you know, I've, I've built up a nice little nest egg mm-hmm. in my HSA account that in the future I can use to pay for medical expenses, even mm-hmm. premiums, I believe mm-hmm. you can pay. And, and so that comes out tax-free. So you get a deduction going in, it grows tax-free as long as you take it out for medical. And it, and it doesn't have to be, at least as it stands now with the tax law, it doesn't have to be a current medical expense. Mm-hmm. If you've accumulated medical expenses that you've paid for and have records for, you could take a deduction in a future year. And reimburse the, yourself. And reimburse yourself. Huh. Correct. Uh-huh. So it's a, I, in essence, think of it as... It's kind of like a medical Roth IRA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's even better in a sense that you get the deduction for it up front. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the HSA yep, question. That's great. I'm looking nice. forward to the days where I can make better use of mine. My, my kids are always I, sick, so it's, I mean, I never I can never run a, a, a sizable balance in there because I'm always spending it. But but it is super convenient. I mean, you use super it whenever you go to, you know, if you have a deductible or anytime you have the pharmacy. I, mean, I use mine all the time, but I just wish, I wish I were using it. Hmm. In, yeah. in the future. <laughs> and that's, you know, I, I was the same way. Yeah. My youngest child is a senior in college uh-huh. now, and so I don't have quite as many of those expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did use it, you know, when I was younger, mm-hmm. I'd used it more. But now that I don't have as many of the right. expenses on the medical side, it's nice to be able to save that. Yeah. 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 And that kind of goes into the Roth IRA mm-hmm. you yeah. asked about. I mean, you know, we look at Roth IRA conversions you know, all the time. You know, there are income limits to contributing to a Roth, but if you have an IRA, and want to convert that to a Roth, there are no, there are no income thresholds. Mm-hmm. So what that means is if you, know, if you have a traditional IRA that is growing tax deferred, that will ultimately be taxable when you take it out, you could convert all or a portion of that to a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Define what a Roth IRA, you know, IRA is for our listeners. Just to- A Roth IRA is, is basically a, a tax-free IRA. Traditional right. IRAs, they come out as ordinary income. Mm-hmm. You pull right. money out, it's ordinary income, you pay tax. A Roth IRA comes out, there are requirements, mm-hmm. um, but when an Roth, a Roth IRA comes out, it's tax-free. Mm-hmm. So the idea you know, with many of our clients is, do you do a Roth conversion or not? And that, that involves paying tax mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. And so you transfer money from, from your traditional IRA to the Roth, say it's 100000 You put 100000 in, well, that's 100000 of of taxable income. So you got to be mindful of what that, what that impact mm-hmm. is. But then, you know, let's fast forward. Let's say you have the Roth IRA for, for 20 years. And that 100000 say it's 250000 300000 mm-hmm. That growth, when it comes out, is tax-free. tax-free. Whether it's you taking it out, your spouse taking it out, or a future heir, mm-hmm. a child taking it out, it, it's tax-free to whoever it takes it out. Yeah, but where it's not so clear is when you have somebody who's, who had a traditional IRA later in life, and so they've, it's built up to be several million bucks. Yeah, and then they're going. They know they're going to have to pay tax, and they go, "Man, should I?" We get that question a lot. I we talk get that, about that. We I, do. That kind I'd of. I'd like to convert it to a Roth, but I'm not sure if I should. And you know, that's a. That's it goes a hand in hand with the requirement minimum distribution you right. mentioned too, the RMD. Um, when you really dig down into it, it it makes sense for most people to try to convert. If you have a 20 year window, mm-hmm. so in, in a 20 year window could be 10 years of your life. And then 10 years of a, of a child's life. Mm-hmm. So if you have that kind of a window to leave it invested, mm-hmm. it generally makes sense to convert. There, mm-hmm. there are a few scenarios where you need to dig in a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if you're in the highest tax bracket and you expect a future heir, a child, mm-hmm. uh, years from now, when they inherit the Roth, to be in a, one of the lower tax brackets, then it might not make as much sense mm-hmm. to do a Roth. But for most people... Um, particularly the longer you have for that to grow, 
uh, I mean, it makes sense to consider. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are little things about it. Again, it's income. So you want to be mindful of what bracket you're in. So we always do a tax projection. You know, say you're in the 24% bracket, which is a big tax bracket in the middle. If you're in that bracket, you probably don't want to get knocked up to the next um, bracket, which Mm -hmm. I think is maybe 32%. Mm So we want to be mindful if we, uh, of how much we're converting. It also reduces, again, if you think about it, it reduces your future RMD. You don't have RMDs from, from Ross. You only have RMDs from taxable IRAs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you can... The definition of RMD being required, required. minimum distribution. Yeah. Correct, 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 correct. We always like to try to define. We, we speak our language all the time, but we like to always define it when we're... Well, an example of, of doing that with kind of a the Roth conversion example and the RMD, we, we, several years ago, we had decided with, with a client that, Hey, they wanted to convert 300,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's great. That's a good amount. And, you know, we did it. I think we've done it four years now. So 1.2 million maybe converted and the account is pushing, I think 2 million. Mm-hmm. And so that one, the, the 800,000 call it of gain will mm-hmm. never be taxed. Mm-hmm. That's tax free. And then further, that $2 million of value is now outside their IRA, uh-huh. so the RMD is thus reduced by a significant amount. Huh. So each year, that $2 million and the, and the Roth grows, it's outside of the— so not subject to the not RMD. Not subject to the yeah. RMD. Yeah. And that, you know, $2 million amount not subject to RMD is, is significant income. Right. That's not being taxed as an RMD. That, and there are other things, too, that we, you know, we, we watch out for, like you know, Medicare premiums. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a tax— but if we're doing things like Roth conversions or, you know, taking a peek at deductions or accelerating income, we want to be mindful of those Medicare premiums for those that are you know, over mm-hmm. 65. Mm-hmm. I think of that as an additional tax. Right. Uh, and the Medicare premiums are bracketed just like income tax. So the more you make, the higher your premiums. There's usually about a year lag in the premium adjustment. Mm-hmm. So I was just did a projection in December for a, a Roth conversion and we're getting kind of close to uh to that highest medicare bracket mm-hmm. that was again it's, it's not huge dollars but um we avoided maybe a couple thousand dollars of premium yeah that on the they margin will, on right. the margin they will not have to pay it it's not mm-hmm. like we're deferring anything we're eliminating it mm-hmm. and again the, the thing about that is it's one dollar it only takes one dollar mm-hmm. over so you know instead of converting a hundred thousand to the roth we convert ninety five thousand, mm-hmm. still get the big Roth conversion win, but eliminate the additional Medicare uh-huh. premium. Uh-huh. So that's, I mean, I think that's little things at the margin um, that are helpful. Well, speaking of little things, as we wrap things up here, are there any areas of sort of what you might consider sort of low hanging fruit, you know, to help minimize tax burdens for folks out there? Yeah, I think we, I don't think we've talked about qualified charitable distributions mm-hmm. yet. So that's you know QCDs for short, another acronym. But thank you, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> the, a, a qualified charitable distribution is 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 something that you take from an IRA. Mm-hmm. So and you have to be seventy and a half to mm-hmm. do it. And so in theory, you're you're in that RMD age. Although that's gone up now. It's now mm-hmm. I think seventy three is the current RMD age. But if you're over seventy and a half and you have charitable uh, intent then you can take it from an IRA. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for the first time in a while, in 2024, the RM, the, I'm sorry, the QCD amount is 105000 So mm-hmm. it, it got indexed a little. It's been 100000 uh-huh. for years. This year it's 105000 So a, as an example, if you're RMD age and you're mm-hmm. taking these required minimum distributions and you'd rather send it to charity, you can do that, and mm-hmm. that becomes tax-free. Mm-hmm. Um, up to 100000 Up to 105, 105. 105. Correct. So up to 105000 
again, another client example, their, their RMD was, I want to say in the in the 80,000 range, they were given away about 40,000 a year. We used a, the IRA. All 40,000 of their charitable contributions last year, we sent through the IRA. Mm-hmm. So their their taxable distribution, it wasn't 80, it was 40. And that also lowers AGI, mm-hmm. adjusted gross income, mm-hmm. um, which can have other benefits, mm-hmm. the Medicare premium benefit. So there's kind of some circular things in there. But I think being mindful of how you give and giving, if you're, again, if you're of age, giving with, with your IRA mm-hmm. is generally advantageous. You know, we talk about giving appreciated, appreciated securities. securities yeah. That's a great yeah, thing, that's too. A, that's, that's, that's such a huge benefit. Yeah. That, that I mean, I, I personally don't always remember it, but it's a, I mean, what a great you yeah. know, mechanism. It, and it's, it's very similar to yeah, that. Yeah. And, and the, you know, giving appreciated securities is, it's a multi-step process, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, whether it's with trust company and we'll have to initiate a transfer of stock, we got to go to another custodian mm-hmm. uh, often. And, you know, that takes time and you have to be mindful of that. With a QCD, it's a, it's a check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at FirmWide, we're always trying to make sure if people are given use, using highly appreciated stock or securities or there was one other thing that I wanted to cover that I don't think we've, we hit on, um, can always have him back. I think I have a feeling we will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we've uh, kind of we've kind of been tax heavy today. Estate, <laughs> estate, right. and income. Yeah, uh, the, just talk a little bit about tax loss harvesting and what that is and why we do it. Yeah, so you know, inevitably the market has a pullback. You know, we 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 talk about it's not if it's if it's when when the next recession happens. We know it's coming, and when it does, you know, often the stock prices have you know they're depressed and they're worth less than you paid for them. So you have a loss. But that, that means nothing for taxes until you actually sell. So, you know, tax loss harvesting for us means we're selling stock that we bought at a loss, mm-hmm. but immediately we're buying another similar stock, but it's but it can't be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do, tax laws won't allow that, but so we'll sell at a loss. You can realize that loss and offset it against other capital gains, mm-hmm. capital gain distributions. And then, and then to the extent that total loss exceeds 3000 you're allowed to take 3000 against ordinary income each mm-hmm. year. Um, to the extent it exceeds that, you you have it as a carry forward mm-hmm. to offset future gains. So when the market ramps back up and you, you have gains in the future, that tax loss harvesting has you offset, know, those, offset gains. those gains. Yeah, yeah we had, again, just a, a quick example. Uh, we had that scenario, what was it? Um, was it 22 yeah. where we had we had yeah. significant uh, loss there were harvesting? Lots of opportunities for tax loss harvesting that month. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But we had we, he needed a big distribution this mm-hmm. year for a purchase, and and we're like, well, gosh, we had to realize significant gain in a, in a client account. I went back and looked. You know, we had har- we had harvested, so we had literally harvested. You know, I think a few thousand dollars more than than the resulting gain. So when he needed that money, pulled it out, he didn't pay any taxes. Yeah, it was a, it was a big gain. On a big gain. But he yeah. didn't pay any taxes uh, right. as a result of that. So, And I, I will say just about tax loss harvesting, it's not – it's advisable, mm-hmm. but it's not a, it's not a always win. Yeah, you know, right. I mean uh, – uh, you're, you're crystallizing a loss. But, yeah. But, you're, but what you're doing is you're trying to manage – future tax liabilities, you know, I mean, you're, at least that's the way I think about it, is that you're not necessarily reducing your tax, but you're you're helping manage or mitigate that liability going. It's yeah, we talk about have. stepped up basis, you know, uh-huh. basis moving up at death. This is kind of stepping down basis. Mm-hmm. You're taking basis from, from a high number to a lower number. And I guess it's a scenario where that wouldn't win is if you do end up selling that asset in a higher tax bracket. Mm-hmm. You know, capital gains have have brackets too. It's mm-hmm. not just one size fits all. So, I mean, there is a scenario where tax loss harvesting 
could be harmful, but more than likely, particularly for our clients, it's it's almost always advantageous. Right. It's just another tool in the toolbox. Another tool in the toolbox. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's at the margins. Right. Yeah. We got anything else, Mr. Noble? We want to ask Chris before we send him back to Charlotte. I, don't know. I, th- I think the big takeaway when you talk with Chris is is when you're managing your money that the investment piece, you know, no matter how good or bad your return is, there's so much more to it. Sure. When you got to look at it from the tax perspective and the, you know, that's that's massive and that's a major component of what we do with all of our clients. And Chris has been a just such an asset to our firm and do that. And I would be remiss if I did not bring up one thing. Chris is, I've worked with Chris for over 15 years now and it's been a great partnership. It's been an honor to work with him, but, um, and he is of the highest integrity. He's one of these type of people that just really, you sense it immediately when you're with him, but he has one chink in his armor. <laughs> I know what's coming. <laughs> and let's talk about Clemson University here, uh, Chris. Uh, it's, he, I'm, he, I'm South Carolina. It, <laughs> I'm South Carolina born and bred. Uh, yeah. Clemson uh, University, yes. I'll, yeah, I, I'll, I'll rush to Chris's defense here. He puts on an extraordinary tailgate. And, and so when we were down there uh, preparing to get beat, um, you know, when the heels were down there a couple of months ago, we had a great time. That, and we appreciate yeah. y'all's, y'all looking out for us. We do like to tailgate. So if, if you ever find yourself in Clemson, South Carolina yeah. on a fall Saturday, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good day. Maybe maybe there'll be brighter days ahead for, for the heels. Who knows? Chris, thank you so much for everything. Yeah. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And well, we'll do this again. We will definitely have you back. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris. See ya. Thank you for listening to Trust Company Talks. These opinions are intended as entertainment. Any opinions expressed on this podcast by Bill Noble, Burke Coombs, or anyone else are not necessarily those of Trust Company of the South. There is no guarantee that these statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be accurate. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. These materials are not intended to be tax or legal advice, and readers are encouraged to consult their own legal tax and investment advisor before implementing any financial strategy.